Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, be that Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Blueberry, Podbay, Podbean, and you can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttoreview.com, where you can also read full show notes and links to the guests. Also, check out youtube.com slash abouttoreview. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Okay, before I get into the breakdown of what this week's episode is going to be, I wanted to let everybody know about a new contest that is going on on my Facebook page right now. So facebook.com slash About to Review. The pinned post at the top is a free book giveaway from DK Books, or rather in collaboration with DK Books, they are being gracious again, like we have done before, and they're giving me the ability to give away a copy of the new book, Black Panther, The Ultimate Guide. This is similar to some of the other books that they have sent to me, like the DC Comics Encyclopedia, Marvel History. All of these books are incredible for both adults like me, but also they're easily accessible for people of all ages to kind of get into it. So especially with how popular Black Panther is doing right now, it is crushing box office records everywhere. This is a great time to pick up the book. So go to facebook.com slash about to review, look at the pinned post and find out how to enter the contest and you can win that amazing book. So now that we got that out of the way, On this week's episode, there are going to be two things going on. First, I'm going to give a review of the new movie Game Night, which is in theaters this weekend. And then second, I'm going to be joined by a friend and fellow film critic. She is based out of Chicago, Seven Okeem Gunn. She is a blogger, film critic, and owner of Seven Gun Media. She is really great. So our conversation is about black female firsts in cinema. So going from Hattie McDaniels all the way up to 2018 and talking about the amazing accomplishments that black women have had in cinema. So that will be after the review for Game Night. Right now, we'll get into the original theme song created by Damian Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. The first review, uh, or rather the only real real review for this week's episode, is the new movie Game Night, which is directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. Now, John Francis Daly, you might remember from Freaks and Geeks. So he was a little kid back then. He has now been working on a bunch of movies with his kind of writing partner, Jonathan Goldstein. They did Horrible Bosses. The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, and recently they helped co-write the screenplay for Spider-Man Homecoming. Their new film, Game Night, which I think drops tomorrow, 
tomorrow being Thursday, Thursday or Friday. So it comes out this weekend. It stars Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams in a oddly dark but hilarious action comedy. So uh, they basically play two hyper-competitive people who meet at a pub trivia night. They fall in love, they get married, and they host a weekly game night for all of their friends. So on one of these game nights, something happens that is somewhat unexpected. So Alex, or Max, played by Jason Bateman, his brother comes into town, played by Kyle Chandler, and he wants to host game night, and he wants to do this murder mystery, this really immersive murder mystery. Something goes awry with that murder mystery that sets everything else in motion. And especially in the third act of this film, there are like five different twists and turns that this takes that were completely unexpected. So right when you thought you kind of knew what was going on and that everything had kind of been solved, a new thing would happen, a new twist, all the way up until pretty much the very end, you were guessing. The general cast is great. So uh, to run through them real quick, so Billy Magnuson is kind of the stifler, like American Pie jock dumb guy part of the group. But he is one of their best friends. So, of course, he is there every week. Uh, Lamorne Morris and Kylie Bunbury. Of course, I would be remiss in not in not mentioning Kylie Bunbury. Tim would get real mad at me if he listened to this and thought that I did not mention her. They are hilarious. Like, that was one thing when I was going into this movie. I was like, all right, I have not seen kind of a throwaway comedy in a while. I want to laugh. How about I go check this out? I ended up enjoying this way more than I thought I would because it was actually really well written. The jokes all kind of made sense. And what was nice, and I have talked about this before, especially with comedy, when there's a setup joke, setup joke, and all of that is happening giving the audience time to laugh before the next setup and joke is crucial. This one, the timing of it from the characters and what they were doing, there were not really any missed jokes, which can happen, unfortunately, in some of these movies where something funny gets said, the crowd starts laughing, and you see the people on screen say stuff, and you miss it. So I was impressed with the timing. Jesse Plemons is in there. In this, aka Meth Damon, this guy, first of all, has a fantastic agent. He has been keeping <laughs> incredibly busy over the past couple years. And every time I see him, I am liking him more and more. He plays their neighbor in this super weird, awkward character that used to be part of the game nights with his wife. After they divorced, they stopped inviting him because he was kind of the creepy husband. And so once they divorced, they were like, all right, we're going to stop inviting him. Problem is, he lives next door. So when he thinks people are coming over, he tries to invite himself. He is fantastic. There's a scene in particular where <laughs> he kind of just 
fades into the darkness of his house. That is great. Again, timing was fantastic. So with this murder mystery, essentially, that is happening, it is more of a kidnap mystery than a murder mystery that is going on. It leads these characters in different paths that then converge kind of in the third act. And all of the different paths that they take, which kind of breaks up the couples to do different things, all of them are strong. All of them have their really funny moments and they all make sense as characters and they're not just kind of there to fill up space. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is in this for like a hot second. That was good to see from Westworld. I mean, he is not filming that anymore, so at least not right now. So he has some time to be like, all right, cool. Let me be on set for like a day and knock this out. Uh, So yeah, this is legitimately funny. There's not really much more I can go into without spoiling things because there are so many twists and turns. So I would just kind of leave it at that. Uh, The rating system for this podcast, if this is your first time listening because you saw that Seven was going to be on this episode and you were like, she is great. I love reading her stuff. I want to listen to this podcast that she is on and you have not fast forwarded through this front part before you get to that. The rating system of the podcast, there are three choices. No stars, no letter grades, none of that. Three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good movie is something that you would recommend to a friend that you enjoyed, that you came out of, that you were like, that was solid. Let me go tell somebody about it. A bad movie is something that it was just kind of all right. You left the theater, not upset just maybe a little bit disappointed and not something that you would immediately recommend. Ugly, on the other hand, avoid at all costs. Just do not see it. Do not waste your 90 minutes. They could be better used for anything else. So my official rating for Game Night, which comes out this weekend, is a good. I had a lot of fun. I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. This is one where once it hits streaming services, either on Netflix or Amazon Prime, I'm probably going to watch this again because it was funny. It was solid. Watching it the second time, I might you know, be doing something else in the background, maybe some dishes or something, but it would still be funny enough to keep me engaged. So really enjoyed that. Uh, now that that review is over, I'm going to lead right into the conversation that I had with Seven Okima Gun. Uh, so we talked about Starlets from 1939 all the way up until 2018, really focusing on the black female firsts, whether it was a nomination for best actress or best supporting actress to a win to just something important that happened in black cinema for these women at that time. So stay tuned for my conversation with Seven Okima Gun, and also one more time before I go into that, make sure to go to Facebook.com/slash/about-to-review and enter the contest for your chance to win a copy of Black Panther: The Ultimate Guide. Seven Okima Gun is a blogger, film critic, creator, and owner of Seven Gun Media. Uh, as a fellow film critic, you're based in Chicago. I definitely wanted to reach out and have you on this episode to talk about famous black female firsts in film. Welcome to the show, Seven. 
Well, thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Um, this will be one of my many firsts, so that's great. Nice. Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, uh, a little bit about me, mm-hmm. um, I, I started doing uh, blogging and film critique probably in about, maybe about 2012 after I, um, I, I was teaching, um, I am a social studies teacher and I've been teaching uh, since maybe about 20, uh, t- 2003. Mm-hmm. So I had been teaching for a long time and I was uh, working a high school job and I got laid off. I was a teacher, got laid off. And so I started blogging and, um, I have been kind of in the entertainment industry for a while, just doing little things here and there. I I was in New York for six years. And so, yeah. So I just started writing, you know, I, I just, I love movies and, um, I was at, uh, ushered for Tribeca film festival. I've ushered for Chicago independent, I mean, uh, Chicago, um, International Field Festival, and just I've been different places. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to start uh, doing some film critique and blogging. And so that started in 2012, and I've been doing it ever since. And I think this year actually was the year that I really started getting, I wouldn't maybe say more serious, but this was the year that I started to get um, see the screenings more and get mm-hmm. more films under my belt and get a little bit more exposure, if you if you will. And it's very hard um, as a film critic when you're first starting out to get exposure just because, um, you know, it, it, it costs. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost you either money-wise or time-wise. And if you're not serious about it, you probably will fall by the wayside because it's very – it's not something that you just – do for the short term it's you you got to be in it for the long haul i mean you have to love films or else you won't you won't be able to be around for that so um, right i always talk about that when people when people ask about you know film criticism and and everything that comes with it and when i hear people some fellow film critics you know say that oh you know it's starting to feel like a responsibility and i need to go see this and this and you hear it on their voice and it was like when it stops being fun that is time for you to mix something up and change it. And so, yeah, I definitely agree with you that it takes having that that passion, that interest in film in general to make mm-hmm. it into something real and to make it into something enjoyable. <laughs> so it is not just like, Ugh, I have to go to the movies and see three movies this week for free. <laughs> oh, my life is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it- it's funny that you say that because, I mean, it, it is hard mm-hmm. um, working a full-time job and being a film critic because people are like, oh, you're a film critic. It's so easy. I'll just throw up a, in, you know, like I just I just did Black Panther and I, you know, I was I was off kilter a little bit. My routine was off for a little bit, but it took me like several hours. It took me like five hours to do just Black Panther mm-hmm. just because it was so much detail in that film and I had to go back and fix it and fix it and fix it and fix it. And so um, just the process of me writing, I'm still not where I would like to be, but I'm growing in that, you know, and that, in that, in that part of my craft, mm-hmm. but I mean, it takes hours. And when I'm in that space, man, you don't want to bother me because <laughs> I will rip your head off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I mean, and it takes sometimes that, especially with the movie like Black Panther, I have now seen it twice. Uh, I have done 
two episodes on it, uh, one of mine, and then a guest spot on a different podcast, Northwest Nerd, there is still so much to it that even in both of those that we were not able to talk about. So and especially in a movie like that where it is so dense, it is so meaningful, it is so impactful, when people read your review or listen to the episode, they're like, oh, I'm sure you just have to talk about it. And you're just like, man, it takes a lot of work to process all of that and put it on the page or put it out there on the airwaves. So when you go into films, when you go into screenings, what are the things that you are looking for to stand out to you? So when I look to when I look for a screening, sometimes I'll admit, sometimes I go in cold. Mm-hmm. Like in, when I when I did Black Panther, I went in cold. I didn't do I didn't do too much research because I wanted to feel more the emotion of the film. And then afterwards, I did the research. But a lot of times, I will do the research ahead of time, figure out who the director is, the actors, and, um, you know, just so that I can prepare myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of, and, you know, it's funny because my mother was the one that introduced me to film. And we used to we used to watch at the movies with Gene Siskel and mm-hmm. Roger Ebert. And she is, it's funny, she's amazing because she can, she can watch a trailer and, and, tell if the movie is going to be garbage. She'll be like, oh, that's a bad movie. And most of the time she's right, just from the trailers. Like She'll be like, oh, that's crap. And I'll be like, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. And <laughs> right. then I'll go see the movie and it is crap, mm-hmm. you know? So she she's very insightful in that way. And it's important. Trailers are important. Marketing is important. Um, sometimes, you know, trailers give too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes I watch a trailer, sometimes I won't. Um, marketing is big for you know going into the movie um but what i look for i look for a film script that is um that tells a story it's something that i can connect to Mm -hmm. if i can't connect to any of the characters which usually doesn't happen but if i can't connect to any of the characters that that's a bad script um i want to care about the characters i want to be invested um, usually I do care about at least one of the characters, right. but sometimes it's not a well-written well script. And, so, and may, sometimes they, they don't, um, they may, the actors may not mesh well with the script or there's something off kilter about the film. And obviously if, if it's an indie film, um, if your audio is off, I mean, these are basics. If your right. audio is off and you know, there's things that's, kind of weird then you're going to turn me off you know watching mm-hmm. you know watching the screening and though that's just for like indie films or or any film you know it could be a blockbuster film that that is you know color bad coloring and i'll give you that example we you know we were talking before a couple months ago when um, justice league came out mm-hmm. and that was kind of funky the coloring with wonder woman what she had on and her colors weren't bright like how they weren't in the in the Patty Jenkins version. And so we're like, you know, what happened? So stuff like that will turn me off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bad CGI. I'm like, if you are working for Marvel or DC comics or any one of those big conglomerate um, studios, your coloring should be on point. Your sound should be on point. Your, um, you know, the pacing of your, the comedy and stuff like that. I mean, you really shouldn't have too many issues with those things, but we're finding that, there's still those issues. I don't understand that. Um, Mm -hmm. But first of all, the first thing I look for is story. Uh, Second, can I connect to the characters? Third, pacing, pacing of the story. Um, 
How fast does it move? Does it move fast? Does it move slow? Do I do I engage with the characters? Um, like I said, investment. Mm-hmm. And um, some stories don't necessarily have to follow a formula. And somebody was just talking to me about this because I, you know, I want to um, start screenwriting. Um, most people need a formula. It doesn't have to follow a formula. Mm-hmm. But if you are all over the place, then that that throws the audience off. Um, the the only I think the only way that you would be able to get away with that would be like a pulp fiction or a memento where, you know, you know, but those are, those are exceptions to the rule. So I would say like for the main part, most people follow the rules for screenwriting. And it takes a very, very skilled writer and director to bend those rules or to break those traditional rules of convention you need to have some skills under your belt to pull it off, not just to do it and to be like, look what I did. I broke conventional rules of my screenplay, but to do it in a way where it was like, okay, you did. And it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, that's not something that I would brag about, you know, like <laughs> if I was, if I was an emerging filmmaker, I wouldn't be like, look, I broke the rules and I did No, that's not that you don't get bragging rights to that. You, you start off, you follow the formula and then, you know, occasionally it's work. It, it can work for, for a person, but you would have to be pretty much a genius to, mm-hmm. to be able to pull that off. And I'm not encouraging anybody not to do that. I'm just saying that, um, study your craft. You know, mm-hmm. I'm studying my craft. I'm still working on my my skills, and even I am not able to do that. And somebody told me I, I had I just wrote a script for a um a small a, a short, and um somebody told me it was like oh your script is crap, and so now I got to go <laughs> back and redo it. Yeah, but it's hopefully fine. they you said know, it I, in a nicer way I, than I, that. I no he he didn't say that, but. It was it was garbage because the thing of it is is that you have to write a script several times. Mm-hmm. Nobody can write one script. Even like I said, I refer for the Black Panther. That was an amazing, amazing film. But I'm sure they didn't have one draft. I mean, mm-hmm. who does that? Nobody. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so that's what I look for. Um, I look for consistency in story. Like if you if it's a book. Or if it's or you're referring to a comic book or whatever, or you know, the story needs to be story needs to be consistent mm-hmm. um, based on um, other things, and it needs to tell a story, mm-hmm. you know. And I think those are the most important things, and 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 the details matter too. Like, right. um, you know, what we're going to bring up later on is um um costuming um mm-hmm. just small details makes the film unique absolutely excellent well that was the getting to know you uh with seven okima gun section of the podcast <laughs> and now what we're going to do is we're going to break down some famous firsts in film in three different time periods and i was trying to figure out ways to do this and it was like there is no easy way to break up time periods because it was like the golden era the silver era. no so what we're going to do the three time periods are going to be from 1940 to 1960 1961 to 1990 and the 1991 to present day and you know kind of right off the bat yes there were firsts in film before 1940 
We are aware of that. We understand that. But what we are going to focus on are the awards. So things like the Oscars and the Golden Globes that got widespread attention. Those are the first that we are going to be paying attention to. So we could do a deep dive into some Oscar Michaud films from the early 1900s as a black director, but we're not going to do that. So (laughs) the first person on our list, 1940 or 1936, technically. So Hattie McDaniel in Gone with the Wind, who won for Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. Now, with this one, this, this is tough in the sense when you look at it like, okay, yes. So 1939, she, she wins the hotel where they were having the Oscars that year did not allow black people. They had to give her special permission even to attend the ceremony in which she had a chance to win Best Supporting Actress. They did. That's correct. Now, imagine that for a second when you are on the brink of breaking this record of, you know, achieving something incredible and the place where they hold the venue has to be like, well, we normally don't allow your kind, but tonight we'll, we'll, we'll make an exception and you can come in. She had to sit at a separate table from everyone else. Like it is crazy when you think that this was the first win African-American win for a woman and they were still segregating her up to that very night. <laughs> so when you think about that, when you think about, you know, like the first win of something that significant, what are the first things that come to your mind, Seven? Um, well, I would have to say that, you know, um, African-Americans um, have always had to endure things as far as gaining uh, gaining ground in any field. So mm-hmm. I would think that, I mean, I hate to say it, that that was, that would be something that would be expected during that time. Um, yeah. I know that she also got, I mean, I know that she also got some pushback from the NAACP for playing certain roles like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel as though you have to, there's always going to be first. And I'm glad that she paved the way for other African-Americans, even though um, initially she did play a lot of maids and mammies and, 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 and people would say, Oh, well that's a sellout or whatever, mm-hmm. but somebody had to do it. So right. <laughs> is it going to be you, you know, you can't really criticize somebody for doing that because, at that time, that was all that was available. Um, and I know, uh, Sid, you know, Sidney Portier always said, um, and he came after, he came a little bit after that, mm-hmm. and he was saying that he was not going to accept those type of roles. But she came before, she actually came before him. So, you know, again, when you're a first, you don't know what you know you can you're only going to be able to accept what's in front of you Mm -hmm. and um there were so many things that she was an activist for like i also read that she was an activist for black uh black homeowners Mm -hmm. so it wasn't just it wasn't just that she was an actress she was an activist for black people for people of color and she accepted that award based on 
her contribution to um, to black people on the screen. And it was unfortunate that she accepted it for that type of role. But again, you have to start somewhere. Right. And um, I think that was something that she she should have been proud of. I mean, being a first um, is something that is difficult and you don't you can't criticize it until you are in that person's shoes. So I, I applaud Hattie McDaniel for being the first Oscar winner for um, supporting actress, um, even though she had to sit at a segregated table. Um, I applaud her for being the first and I'm proud of her um, because she paved the way for many of us. And it's like, it's kind of like stepping on the shoulders of your ancestors, right. you know, and um, so th- those are things that we take for granted, you know, and um, so I appreciate for Hat and I applaud her for being the first and for uh, setting a ground for doing the work mm-hmm. and and being and being courageous enough to do it. Right. One of the great quotes of hers that because, again, she she got it from both sides as she kept accepting those types of roles. But at the same time, again, those are the roles being offered. One of the quotes that she said is, why should I complain about making $700 a week playing a maid? If I didn't, I'd be making $7 a week being one. Exactly. And it was like, I mean, that is true. I mean, so people who are like, oh, she shouldn't be playing those roles. But it was like, she is an actress. She, that is her craft. And that is what is being offered. So yes, you would love to take the moral high ground and be like, I absolutely will not accept that. That means you are not working back then. And so if that was, you know, your passion to do, unfortunately, you had to kind of do that until more options and more opportunities came along. So same thing with you. I totally I mean, I I'm happy that she was able to get it the surrounding circumstances with it. Those are the things that I, I struggle with uh, to just accept. But 1939, at least it happened. Well, and I agree with you. Um, th- This is the one thing that I wanted to point out. Okay, so granted, she was playing maids and things of that nature. But she worked with some amazing actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. So she, some of the people that she worked with, um, she was, I believe she was in, um, sh- um, the, there was a mo- the movie with Shirley Temple and Bojangles. Was it? Um, it uh, was, was it Shirley Temple? Well, I mean, huh? Was it Shirley Temple? Because uh, I know that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what that what that one was. Um, I'm just give me one second. I because I I thought I wrote it down. It's um, it was it the Little General? Is that what it was? Oh, uh, like that could be. Yeah, I think it was a little general. I think I think that's the name of it. it. Was with Shirley Temple and Bojangles, if I'm not sure, and Lionel Barrymore. I'm not sure, but I think that was what what it was. And then she did um, the Judge Priest with Will Rogers. She sang with that one, mm-hmm. and that was directed by John Ford in 1934. Murder by Tele- Television. She did with Bella Lugosi. Right. Um, she was in Showboat, and um, she did Gone with the Wind, which is obviously what she won for with um, Vivian Lee and Rhett Butler. Mm-hmm. Um, she did 1942, This Is Our Life with Betty Davis. 
Um, thank you. Thank your lucky stars with Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart. Um, so those were, those were some of the people that she was doing films with. So, mm -hmm. um, so I guess everybody else is just a hater because I, I you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was with some really big actors mm -hmm. and, um, and consequently she has two, she has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of right. Fame, one, one for radio and one for acting. So, I mean, Hey, I mean, get the work. <laughs> yeah, you do the work, you get the accolades. Hey, what can I say? Yeah, and she was actually the first black woman to sing on the radio. That was one of wow. the things that that helped her get the the star for radio. Is yeah, she was the first black woman to sing on the radio. She then went on to do a lot of other radio appearances, obviously. So yeah, Hattie McDaniel, huge trailblazer for women in multimedia. I mean, both in radio and film at the time. So for the for the Oscars from 1940 to 1960 or 1939 to 1960, there was only one other black female in that time period. And that was 1954 with Dorothy Dandridge, who was nominated for Best Actress in Carmen Jones. So yeah. that gap <laughs> that, you know, that is a pretty big gap. That nobody else was being nominated. Dorothy Dandridge gets nominated as Best Actress for Carmen Jones. And Carmen Jones is a beautiful musical film, but my goodness, it is dark. It is depressing. It is hard to watch, but she is amazing in it. You know, um, I'm, you know what? I'm just going to stop you right. I'm just going to stop you for a second because I made a mistake. So, um, so it was the little colonel, not the little, little general, colonel. the little okay. colonel of 1935, and that was um, that was Hattie McDaniel, mm -hmm. Bill Bojangle Robinson, Larry, Lionel Barrymore, and Shirley Temple. So gotcha. That was yeah. Little right, colonel, you, you know. Now I, you started with general. You just needed to give him a promotion to colonel. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was close, but I know, but I have to be correct because somebody will correct me if I don't correct myself. Somebody will do it. Oh, trust me. It it happens all the time. Sometimes it will not even be the random person on social media. One of my friends who will be listening to the episode will send me a text and be like, uh, you actually meant this movie. And I was like, okay, thanks, buddy. I made a mistake on the guest <laughs> appearance that I was on for Northwest Nerd. I said Batman and Robin and not Batman Forever. And I'm just waiting for somebody to send me a message and be like, you meant this movie. So... It happens. Yeah. We make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so 1954, Dorothy Dandridge, Carmen Jones. Have you, when was the last time you saw Carmen Jones or watched clips of it? Ooh, it's been a while since I watched Car Carmen Jones. Um, I had to actually, I mean, uh, it's been years. Mm -hmm. I actually had to sit down and watch Carmen Jones. And I think when I first watched it i was like whoa this is kind of risque yeah. you know <laughs> and i was like thinking to myself like she threw herself at harry belafonte mm -hmm. and he he was already spoken for so i was kind of like oh man this floozy is gonna get it <laughs> and she did and spo she, yeah spoiler alert from a movie from 1954 i'm sorry uh she well, no no the, the, the statute of limitations it, is up things do not go well for Carmen Jones uh, by the end of this film. And of course it is. You know what? <laughs> Go ahead. I, get, I guess I get a pass because it's 
already out. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, it came out a long time ago, but, you know, it is yeah, based it off so of, you know, Carmen, you know, so just, th- and this movie, like I said, it is, it is a beautiful musical and it is an all black cast and production, which is incredible, but man, it, it, it gets hard to watch. Like the last 10 minutes of this movie where things start to go real bad for Dorothy Dandridge, it, it is tough stuff. Yeah, it's very intense. Oh, Yes. So those were the the Oscar winners and nominees from 1940 to 1960. We will transition to the Golden Globes. So there were only (laughs) two during that time period, and they were the same year. It was 1960. You had Dorothy Dandridge again, this time for Uh Porgy and Bess, and she was nominated for Uh Best Actress, and also Uh Juanita Moore for Best Supporting Actress for The Imitation of Life. Okay. So this was groundbreaking because this was the first time that both in the Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress category for the Golden Globes, you had two black women possibly getting a chance to win. Neither of them did. But again, for the Golden Globes, these were the first. And the Golden Globes started in 1944. So it took them 16 years to nominate a woman of color, a black woman, and when they did, they obviously, I mean, the accolades are there. I mean, Dorothy Dandridge and Porgy and Bess as Bess is phenomenal. Juanita Moore and The Imitation of Life is another one of those movies that it is hard to watch these days, but it is important. So, yeah. So, Imitation of Life is, um, there's a, it's a, it's, it's um, a white family. And what happened is there's a maid and there mm-hmm. is a, um, there is a young uh, the 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 maid's daughter. She decides that she wants to go off. I'm not. I can't remember exactly, but she decides she wants to go off and live. Um, she decides that she wants to go off and live out in the world. And she's kind of been sheltered under the white family. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you know, it's. I mean, the main thing about the imitation of life is that. What it boils down to is the issue of passing, you know, in the African-American community. Yeah, she's very and light. Very light skin. And so that dichotomy and that struggle is something very real to this day. And this is 1960, you know, when this movie comes out. And a lot of people, I think, up to that point were not really aware of the kind of sociopolitical ramifications of a black person, a mixed person passing as white and the reasons why she would want to do that. And so well, I think, yeah. And I, I think, I think the thing that was so crushing about this film was that the mother came to go see her mm-hmm. and she, I think she, she like, she just didn't even acknowledge her, yeah. you know? And after she had, she had done so much for her and it was heartbreaking. It just really was um, just to see that she had treated her mother that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with those two films with Imitation of Life, I mean, Porgy and Bess is another just stage musical uh, that I highly encourage people to to watch. Porgy and Bess was actually the first theatrical experience that I had when I went to the theater, like when I went to see a musical with my family. Mm-hmm. So we all went as a family to go see Porgy and Bess as like the first musical on stage. To this day, mm-hmm. it is one of my favorites. Uh, when I auditioned for musicals back in the day, I would sing songs 
from Porgy and Bess as my audition piece. So Porgy and Bess definitely has a soft spot <laughs> in my heart. Okay. So beautiful film and accessible. So that is the other right. thing is the reason we are talking about the films that we're going to be talking about is almost all of these you can either find online, some of which just on YouTube if you want to. The whole movie will be on there. But you can also, I mean, some of them are on the AFI list. You can get them on DVD or Criterion Collection. So all of these movies are accessible, which is is good. <laughs> uh, moving. Well, you know, oh, go ahead. Well, you know, you know, I just want to point out one thing. I, I noticed like all the th- all the movies that that we are talking about, they're all like sad movies. You know, um, yeah. Imitation. <laughs> Poor game. Poor game. Best is not. I mean, it's not like it's not like. Oh, I mean. <laughs> It, it it's I mean I guess there's some there's some funny points and whimsical but then mm-hmm. it's also I mean it's very it's very kind of dark too in some places and imitation of life is a tearjerker I mean oh, yeah. I I mean one thing about imitation of life is you watch that movie you need to have some tissues <laughs> for sure I mean even if even if it does not if it is not about the the passing and all of that it is the way that this daughter treats her mother and everything else that happens, like it is, it is brutal. So yes, uh, these are a lot of dramas <laughs> and some of them, yeah. as we go down the list are even more so. So mm. as we transition into the next era of film, okay. 1961 to 1990. Okay. So the Oscars that we will go over in this category, they start in 1972 which was Diana Ross in Ladies Things the Blues Uh playing Billie Holiday, and she was nominated for Best Actress. What is important about that is that Diana Ross, this was her first film. (laughs) So in your first run, in your debut performance, and you get nominated for Best Actress for the Oscars playing Billie Holiday. Yeah, she killed it in this film. I mean, (laughs) it is, again, again, a tearjerker. It's just... I mean, she is phenomenal in this film, and she just really, um, she just oozes Billie Holiday mm-hmm. and everything that happens to her. It's a very tragic story, but I mean, Diana Ross plays her so beautifully. Mm-hmm. And there's something about, so Billie Holiday, when you listen to that music, it just, it speaks to your soul in a way that, you hear what she is talking about and then you read about her life or you watch Ladies Things the Blues to think of what she came through and what she was going through as she was gaining popularity. It is gut wrenching. And mm-hmm. one of the only people that I have kind of tried to draw a correlation to over the years of someone who really sang from their soul that same way was Amy Winehouse. When you listen mm. to Amy Winehouse, when you started listening, like, oh, rehab, and like, it was a fun, poppy song. And then you looked into it, and you were like, no, this woman needs help. Like, uh, th- this woman, <laughs> like, these things are are not, this is not just a fun pop song song with Billie Holiday. You listen to her voice. You hear her stories through the music, and it is beautiful. And then you read about her, and you were like, how did you do this? Like, how were you able to do this for as long as she did? And unfortunately, she died young at 44 but man that that music is straight from the soul yeah it was it does it's, it speaks to you and it's it's like you're transported into 
a kind of soulful gospel, mm -hmm. um, just very, it, it, it takes you to, it takes you to a warm place. And I think that somebody like that, and, and usually what you find with people that are, <clears throat> that are talented like that, they struggle emotionally and, um, they're usually tormented. Mm -hmm. And that's a sad thing that with people that are so talented like that, they always have those kind of issues. I mean, it's just, it's hard enough to be an African-American in the United States. Right. But then in addition to being you being poor and you're talented and everybody wants a piece of you. And then this and then you've got relationship issues. And I mean, it just goes drug, on and drug on and addiction. And drug addiction. I mean, it just never stops. Yeah. And, um, and that was something know. Diana Ross was able to portray in that in Ladies Things the Blues mm -hmm. in a phenomenal way. And just again in a mm -hmm. gut wrenching, heartbreaking way. Yeah. So in that same year, similar to when in nineteen sixty, when you had, you know, two black women for different awards, in nineteen seventy two they were competing for the same award. So nineteen seventy two, the other one of the other nominees for Best Actress was Cicely Tyson in Sounder. Mm -hmm. And Sounder is about a sharecropping family where the husband steals a ham to feed his poor family, ends up going to jail for it. Mm -hmm. So then this woman is left with her kids being like, how do I survive? How do I make mm -hmm. it? How do we persevere through all of this? Mm -hmm. Brutal. <laughs> like, again, just these dramas are intense. And the way that the, the this film was shot very simply, but so effectively. And watching Cicely Tyson, the performances that she has just in her reactions to what is going on are, are just intense and brutal and heartbreaking. Similar to Lady Sings the Blues. Real uplifting year in 1972 for these yeah. women. <laughs> well, well, you know what? It, 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 it also speaks about how black women have... have uh, you know, they have had to be strong, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they're just obviously um, Billy Holiday and Cicely Tyson's character are two different women, mm -hmm. but they have different strengths. Right. And so it just shows you the different diaspora of the different characters and how black women can can portray different roles. But they have these. You know, they have these different strengths and they have these different weaknesses, but they both have had to endure yeah. um, tragedy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, one of the so then it transitions, at least with the Oscars in this time period, uh, the next two are at least somewhat more upbeat. So 1983, mm -hmm. Irene Sarah was nominated for Best Original Song. No, it's Kara. Kara. Yeah, Kara. Irene Kara. <laughs> She was nominated and won for Best Original Song for Flashdance slash What a Feeling. Okay. I had... I love that. I love that movie. <laughs> that movie, like, I had no idea until I was doing research for this episode that that song was so popular because that same year, well, technically it was a, a year later, 1984, won the Golden Globe for Best Original Song. I had no idea that song was so big. Well, you. Well, how old? Are, but how old are you? You're I mean, young. I remember the movie. Of course, I own the movie. But that song, like, I just 
I mean, hearing the song on the radio and everything, but I had no idea it had those two huge accolades. Well, you were probably you were probably you were probably young then, so I don't know how I don't know how old you are, but <laughs> right. you seem like you're a little bit younger than me. Um, I love Flashdance. Um, that that movie was like it was iconic, you mm-hmm. know. Um, again, we have a we have a mulatto girl, um, and she is she's a dancer, mm-hmm. and nobody nobody had seen anything like that during that time, and so Irene Cara who has uh, her voice is like an angel. She has, you know, done the soundtracks for a lot of film. Like she did, she did flash dance. She did, um, what's the movie? Um, I want to say DC, um, something. I can't remember that. It'll come to me, but Mm -hmm. um, Irene Kira has amazing. Oh, she did fame, obviously. Oh, okay. She she did um, flash dance and Irene Kira has done, has done quite a few songs. Um, so that was probably that was really not this is not a shocker because they were playing they've been playing her songs all over the radio like during that time she was very popular. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah, she was. I so, mean, in in retrospect, yeah, in retrospect, when I think about it, like everybody knows the song, everybody knows the movie. One of the things that bothers me about the movie, even though I own it, is that for decades it was not known that the lead actress did not do any of her own dancing oh please what's the big deal and so with me it was like man you kept that under wraps that somebody else was doing your dancing and then it was like on one of like the commentary tracks of like a special edition they kind of they're like oh yeah there was a somebody else doing all of that the entire movie yeah, but but you know what? Um, so I'm I'm gonna go back and correct myself again. Okay. It was DC Cab. So I, I mean, here also also did DC Cab, and then um, yeah. So the main character, she um, she was she was mulatto, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think that that really. I think people made a big deal out of it. I think it was mostly the fact that she didn't. Um, it was. Oh, Starring Jennifer Beals. Okay. Right. So I didn't get the actress because my my mind is like <laughs> off. So anyway, Jennifer Beals was the actress. So she was young during that time. And I believe she was from somewhere from Chicago or Chicagoland area. Hmm. Um, so she, very attractive woman, very talented. I think it was more the, so the fact that they didn't admit she was the dancer I mean, nowadays it's like, okay, she didn't do dancing, big deal or whatever. Right. But I think it was more the fact like, oh my gosh, she, that wasn't her with the dancing. So they made a big deal out of it. And then they threw her under the bus. That That's what I don't like. It wasn't the fact oh, that really? she, yeah, well, she didn't, she did not act in any films for a, a while after that, you know, mm. because, because the, you know, I think that was the studio's responsibility says be like hey this is not the dancer i mean she was a young girl when she did the film right so right. i think it was a studio's responsibility to say hey she wasn't the dancer because you're under contract so she doesn't know mm-hmm. you know so i i felt really bad for her they threw her under the bus and um that was really the studio's fault for that shame on you shame on you <laughs> throwing that black girl under the bus right so but, I mean, at least that was one of the films in all of the ones that we have been talking about that 
parts of it were really fun, really uplifting. The song was great. So, mm-hmm. and it was not just this, you know, horrible, depressing thing that kept happening. <laughs> Yeah, that was that. Uh, yeah, Flashdance was okay. It wasn't it, it? wasn't. I mean, that was a tearjerker too, a little bit. Oh yeah, but it wasn't as bad. It wasn't no. as bad. <laughs> For sure. And then seven years later, you have 1990, Whoopi Goldberg mm-hmm. for Ghost, who won for Best Supporting Actress. Okay. Now this is actually, so this was her first Oscar. A few years before that, she won a Golden Globe, 1986, for The Color Purple, mm-hmm. for Best Actress okay. in a Drama. Okay. You want to talk about tearjerker, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking? Like, The Color Purple is on, like, the top three list of hardest movies to get through, in my opinion. At least of the ones that we're talking about today. Like, The Color Purple is just so harsh in so many different scenes where you just, you want the best for both her and Oprah, but man, it does not let up at all. Well, I think I think the reason and, and Alice Walker is the is the is the is the author of mm-hmm. the um of the book. Uh, I think the reason why it's so difficult is because well, a um I I was. I remember when they first did this film and they were saying how hard it was to make the film and get it made. Steven Spielberg actually helped them make the film and he was a director mm-hmm. and, um, but she didn't even, so Whoopi Goldberg, um, she, she was, um, sh- so she was at the, she, so she was nominated for, mm-hmm. for the Golden Globes and, oh, and Oprah Winfrey, but the film itself didn't, didn't get nominated. You know that what I mean? Crazy. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, kind of funky. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, that was a big deal. And cause they were like screaming, they were angry. They're like, you know, how do you nominate the actors and the actresses, but what about the film? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think it didn't get nominated because it was an uncomfortable topic and it talks about African-Americans and the struggle and how, I mean, with the, with the rape mm-hmm. and the in, incest and the um, abuse Yeah. Um, with the, you know, when um, Oprah Winfrey, she gets knocked down and, and she has to be the maid and she doesn't see her children. I mean, that is, uh, I mean, that killed me. Well, and also she, just showing, showing the relationship between two women, you know, showing just that companionship, showing yes. that, showing the yes. love that these two women had for each other. That also had not been seen before. Right. And so right. That, that was a, right. That's true. That's true. That, um, that, um, um, Whoopi Goldberg's character did have a relationship with, um, with one of the women in the film. And that was, and that was something that actually saved her because I, I think that if she had not had that character um, help her, then she, I mean, because she was like, like a doormat and Mm -hmm. she didn't stand up for herself. And she had been basically abused and just treated very badly. And then, um, and then just to know that she had children out there, and was not able to talk to them for so many years. It was, like you said, gut wrenching, and it was, it was horrible. It mm-hmm. really was horrible. Yeah, horrible yet a beautiful film. Horrible <laughs> it, yet beautiful. Yeah. Yes, I agree. It is one of those difficult things where it's like, do you want to recommend this to somebody knowing that it is going to ruin their day or perhaps week because they are going to be so emotional? 
so yeah, it, it is tough. Uh, so the only other one, the Golden Globes, in that time period that we have not already talked about. So 1962 was Claudia McNeil for Raisin in the Sun, and she was mm-hmm. nominated for Best Actress. Okay. And what was interesting about Raisin in the Sun is that was a stage play, and okay. they took the entire cast and made the movie. And that was something that they did back in the day more frequently, or they would kind well, of... Go ahead. Well, didn't it? Well, wasn't it? Wasn't Ruby D originally in the the play? Uh, let me see. So she was yeah, in the so she was Ru- in the movie also. Yeah. Okay, so Ruby D was in the okay, but she mm-hmm. just didn't get not well, well. She maybe she got nominated, but maybe she didn't win. Right. Because I because actually I no I'm not no I'm not cutting you off. I just I did have Ruby D on my on my list, mm-hmm. but. But that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, so Raising the Sun, I mean, this family drama. Uh, they basically mm-hmm. are getting uh, a check, you know, an insurance or life insurance check after mm-hmm. a death in the family. And they're trying to decide what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Again, this is hard <laughs> because it is a family drama where certain people want to do some things with the money. Daughter wants to go to medical school. They need money for that. Money gets lost. Money, like the optimism that they're trying to show throughout this money, movie. Well, that money doesn't get lost. Somebody. <laughs> well, okay, it it gets stolen from a business partner for a liquor store, but right. But somebody gave it to him. He didn't just. So you know, it was just bad. It was bad choices. Yes. And I think, and I think that that happens in life. It's like we bad make bad choices, and then you know that's especially if you're poor or you're you know have have a and you're in a situation i think sometimes you want to you want to play the lottery or you want to make mm-hmm. it yeah make it quick and it just never happens that way right yeah and so this movie definitely goes into what it means as a family when you know that there is money coming down the road mm-hmm. and what to do with it and how it can very easily break apart a family so mm-hmm. but yeah i mean so she was nominated did not win, uh, but she was nominated. So then <laughs> the the modern okay. uh, time period, we'll say 1991 to 2018. Okay. This is when we really start to get some heavy hitters. Yeah. And where we start to see things start to change and a lot more people getting recognized. So in 1991, uh, again, with because the Golden Globes... They kind of do things a little bit differently. But 1991, Whoopi Goldberg won for Best Supporting Actress for Ghost. Same with she did in 1990 for the Oscars. Ghost was one that I remember watching it as a kid, which I was probably too young to be watching it. Uh, the, I guess, demons, for lack of a better term, like <laughs> the dark spirits, terrified me. Gave me, oh my God. gave no, me you nightmares. Can't, you can't watch Ghost as a for a child. No, you can't watch that. <laughs> I probably watched it at like a friend's house or something like that. His sister was watching, but it was just, yeah, yeah. There was demons in that, and you know what? I think for me, the 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 most eerie part about this the ghost was the was the noise that they were making. Yeah. I was like, I had to cover my ears. I was like, Eah! you mm-hmm. know, it was like this screeching noise, and it. It was like, oh my God, please just stop. <laughs> and that was the worst part of the movie was that screeching of the demons. And I was, and to be honest with you, that movie was scary to me. Yeah. Um, 
um i was like i was like oh god the, the demons are coming back and i was scared like <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah when they show up like the second time and you start to see the shadows coming down towards the and it was like no uh-uh nope yeah terrifying movie yeah even, yeah even well i wasn't i wasn't a child in that time i was in high school but still that was creepy to me mm -hmm. um absolutely uh, so then the the next year, though, so then we'll go into the Oscars. So starting in 1992, okay. Ruth okay. E. Carter, who I have been singing her praises recently, but she has been in the game a long time. The reason I have been singing her praises recently is if she is not nominated for this year's Oscars for what she did with Black Panther, the whole Academy needs to be thrown in the trash. Exactly. Like she, so she, Ruth E. Carter was nominated in 1992 for best costume design for Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. She has been, I mean, she did Malcolm X, Amistad. Like she has a huge career behind her. What she did in Black Panther, though, is insane. Like she was able to show so much diversity, so much differentiation between the characters, between the tribes. Come on. Like, it, yeah, she has to be nominated at, on the very, very short list for best costume at next year's Oscars. I agree. Well, I have to, I have to give a shout out because I, I just found out this recently that she is a Hampton alum. So I am excited about that. Oh, nice. Um, yes. And but I, I I've I've known of her, but I didn't know you know I didn't know that she graduated from Hampton, and yeah, she's been in the game thirty years. Mm -hmm. so she has been crushing it. Um, she is a phenomenal costume designer, um, and I think she sh I think I mean I don't know what's coming down the pipe, but she right now off the bat she is a, already a forerunner for. Uh, nominee for Oscars and like yeah. you said if she's not put on there I mean I'm going to raise hell mm -hmm. I mean really I mean and I, I get I get leery about making those predi predictions as a film critic this early in the year you know saying oh they should win when the movie is in February but at, as of right now she exactly. like she needs to be nominated we will see what happens we still have a lot of 2018 to get through but well but you know what what i wanted to say what i wanted to say was it's like she's on that scale of like um and i and, and you can't even compare it because it's not level playing like it's not level it's not the same but she is like on that epic proportion like you know like the return of the jedi like blade runner you know it's like that mm -hmm. type of epic scope yeah. But she but it's not even I'm not even comparing it to those films because it's so different. Right. And she I I mean, I can't imagine anybody doing any better than her I, at this point. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine. I mean, granted, I'm sure this year we will have some period piece that gets nominated like they always do, like Beauty and the but Beast still. and Victorian Abdul this year. But yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think anything can come close to what she's done. I don't believe so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are we are huge fans of Ruth E. Carter, hoping that she gets nominated again uh, and or wins. So that was 1992. Uh, the next one is not for a while. So it was 2001. Yeah, a huge gap. I'm noticing that. Not too happy about that. Yeah. No. 2001. Halle Berry won Best Actress for Monsters Ball. 
Now, tell me your thoughts on on Monsters Ball before I kind of go into mine. Um, well, um, I'm going to tell you what I was doing at the time. I was teaching, uh, I was doing teaching at the time and they were actually watching part of the Oscars, um, and her speech and stuff like that. And I was telling people and they were Caucasian Mm -hmm. and I was telling them that, you know, she, I'm glad that she won, but I was like, I really don't like the part that she played for it. Mm -hmm. And it kind of goes back to the Hattie McDaniel thing. Um, but I feel like she didn't have any clothes on. Like, nope. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> yeah. that I don't know. I, I, I felt a little bit different about this one just because I don't know. I think I was, I think I was torn with this one. I, and not that she didn't do a great job, but I was like, Oh man, you're not, you're not making it look good for the black sisters. I mean, it's yep. really, well, I mean, it, you know, it reminded me also of, how many amazing characters Denzel Washington has played and he wins for training day, perpetuating a stereotype. And it just like, exactly. So with, and what is also crushing with Halle Berry winning, not so much that she won. (laughs) She is the only black actress to win the best actress, you know, Oscar. And it was for monsters ball. Exactly. It it is like, Really? Yeah, so in they, all these years, but that, was, but that was I think that was done on purpose. I'm sorry to the academy, but I that no, no, I don't <laughs> no. Yeah. No. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll change that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So I uh, you know, you know what would be, you know would be great? Would be great and I know superhero movies hardly ever get nominated. Uh, that would be great if Black Panther could be nominated for an Oscar. Uh, that would be uh, I mean it, yeah. it, it never happens, but never say never. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, and there have definitely been some worthy people nominated since her, but as of right now, she holds the distinction as being the first and only winner, black actress for best actress. So, yeah. okay, so she, she can she can have that. Uh, another gap. So 2006, Jennifer Hudson mm-hmm. wins best supporting actress for dream girls and what makes this significant is she was the youngest african-american both male and female to win so and how old was she like i think 20... she was 25 okay yeah so she won for dream girls and again another movie that is beautiful and you like you can put on the soundtrack and be like oh the music is so great then you watch the movie and you're like yeah this is real depressing this is a hard movie also but at least with that one, she won. She was the youngest to win, and it was a great film. Well, right, and so and so, Dreamgirls was um, it was a play, right? It was mm-hmm. a play, and it was Dreamgirls had been done before, right? Or earlier version in the nineteen sixties. I version, think so, something done, like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a it was an earlier version, and. Um, and so she basically it was the it was the version that was it was the updated version. Mm-hmm. So she she killed it. And and yeah. and the thing I think that was the thing that was so great for Jennifer Hudson was she was able she's a very multi-talented. So she didn't yeah. just win an Oscar. She won an Oscar and she won a Grammy and she won, you know, so she's one of she's one of the people that 
few people that have won several different types of awards. It shows her versatility. So I think that's the best thing about Jennifer. I still remember um, the like the most touching and inspirational and heartbreaking performance of the national anthem was when she did that at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that from, I'm trying to remember what year it was. Yeah, it was. That was a brutal because she had just recently lost some family members mm-hmm. and she gets they up. Were, th- yeah, they were murdered. They yeah. were murdered. Actually, she's from Chicago um, and her family was murdered. Um, her, her brother, her mother and her nephew were murdered. Yeah. So it was 2009 when she did that. And I mean, it is chilling. You know, to really just go back and watch that. Especially, I mean, Shade No Shade. Uh, have you seen the video of Fergie singing the national anthem at the All-Star game? Yeah, I, didn't, you know, I didn't see it. I know, you know, I, I try not to get into the too much gossip, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I did hear about that. It's, yeah. Um, it was, sorry. It was real rough. Uh, but going back to the Oscars and the first... So then we get real recent. So 2016, Ava DuVernay gets nominated Mm -hmm. for Best Documentary for the 13th. Mm -hmm. And she is the first black woman to ever be nominated for Best Documentary. Yeah, that's sad. How is it that in 2018, the Oscars started in 1929 and we still are hearing things like the first black female to be nominated for X, the first black male, the first Latino male. Like, how? In 2018, like that is insane to me. Um, I think that I think that if you ask the question how, because because there's still there's still a certain amount of people that are the gatekeepers, and they're not letting the inform they're not letting the status quo or the the people that need to come in. They're not mm-hmm. they're not letting those people in, and there's. There's, it's not like the talent is not out there. Exactly. It's just that certain people, some people get to pick and choose what's good and what's not. And how do you, how do you figure that out? I mean, you are, I mean, you or I, anybody can have the next Oscar winner, mm-hmm. but if their stuff is doesn't have exposure, then nothing happens. Yeah. So it is pretty crazy. So Ava DuVernay was nominated for best documentary for the Golden Globes in 1991 to 2018. We talked about 1991 with Ghost, with Whoopi Goldberg. 1994, mm-hmm. Angela Bassett uh, won for Best Actress Comedy or Musical for What's Love Got to Do With It as Tina Turner. Okay. okay. That movie is incredible. When you watch Angela Bassett in that film, first of all, Tina Turner is a superhero. Like, flat out, she, in my opinion, like, even in the 90s when I first started talking about doing X-Men movies, I was like... Angela Bassett mm-hmm. needs to play Storm, because that would be incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think she's a little bit too. I mean, she looks great, right? But I think she's a little bit. She's a little bit older, so right. she needs a, a little bit younger. But but I'm gonna be honest with you, Black Panther. I'm like, man, either for a mother, she. I mean, Ooh. her her makeup was her makeup was flawless. Angela Bassett, I mean, is just a national treasure. That woman is is something else. So when she, she looks good for for what for for her age she looks she looks good. Absolutely. So when she played Tina Turner, that was a perfect match. I mean, it, whenever you do biopics, there's always kind of that thing like, oh, you know, they were close, they were this and that. 
similar to Diana Ross playing Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. Angela Bassett playing Tina Turner, perfect casting. And she she crushed it. Again, a brutal movie to watch when you think about everything that Ike put her through all those years, but a tremendous performance. Uh, and then Ava DuVernay was nominated for the Golden Globe in 2015 for Selma as for mm-hmm. Best Director. Mm-hmm. So again, we see a lot more exposure, like you talked about, you know, in the recent years, especially when you look at Best Actress in a Supporting Role. Mm-hmm. Since 2009, I mean, Monique won, Octavia Spencer won, Lupita Nyong'o, Viola Davis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there has been, I hate to even say resurgence, there has been a surgence, I guess, a surge mm-hmm. of women finally getting recognized. So, they took those those women that we talked about earlier in the episode, the Hattie McDaniels, the Diana Rosses, the Juanita Moores, to make all of these things possible that we are seeing now. Right. Um, I guess, I guess for me, um, I, w- I, I, I just would like to say for the African-American women, I, and, and I think Octavia Spencer kind of put it mildly. I don't want to see, cause she, this year again, she was nominated mm-hmm. for shape of water um, for a character and she played a maid. I'm like, I'm trying to tell people stay away from the maid. No mammy, no maid. I don't want to see that stuff anymore. Um, even with the slavery, I'm like, okay, you can make someone like 12 years of slave. That was pretty brutal. That was like, Mm -hmm. you know, what is it? Four, three years ago, four years ago. I'm like, uh, the slavery movies. I'm like, Ooh, yeah, (laughs) we we have more stories to tell. (laughs) I know we've got the stories, but they don't all have to be at the same time. <laughs> I feel, I sometimes I feel like all the slave movies that come out at the same time. I'm like, oh man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, oh. So I mean, it, but again, it is one of those things where, when they are done, but they are done correctly. When they are done with respect, and with, I mean, Twelve Years a Slave, Amistad, like those are incredible movies. They rip your heart out of your chest and stomp it to the ground. Yeah. But they are beautiful films so they're beautiful films they're well made exactly that's the, that's the thing if you if you have a slave movie movie and it's not well made then you're doing a disservice to i want to say the ancestors you would do a disservice to the ancestors mm-hmm. and you do a disservice to yourself because you're not telling the tr- you're not telling the true story and and you're not making it to perfection you know yep. and i think i think if you make a slave story you need to have I hate to say it. You should have a black director, I think. And you should have, um, you should tell the real story. Mm-hmm. Those are, I mean, that's the only thing I would say. Yeah, for sure. So that kind of wraps up the Oscars and Golden Globes from those three time periods. And I definitely wanted to give Seven the floor to talk about some of her honorable mentions that, you know, were either famous first or just important moments or important people. So go ahead with some of the people on your honorable mentions list. Okay. Um, so I wanted to mention a couple of people. Um, um, I wanted to mention uh, Oprah Winfrey because right. she did this year get the Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes. And gave um, one of the speeches of a lifetime. <laughs> yes, she did. She did. 
Um, and then I wanted to talk about Cheryl Boone Isaacs because she is the she's the first black female president of um, of the academy, and she's doing a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. And I think because of her, we've been able to open up the doors for a lot of people, more people that are that are voting members. Right. So. Last year, they let in a whole slew of minority people, men, women, and and it's it's just so much more diverse. And I think we see this in reflection of the you know a lot of the nominees. Mm-hmm. Now, at now at the Golden Globes, they did have all male nominees. Shocking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Natalie Natalie Portman put it so eloquently. She was like, "And now for the all male nominees." <laughs> And so I was like, oh, God, not again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's 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 still changing. So we'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So Cheryl Boone Isaacs, first black female um, president of Ampus. And um, I want to say um, I, we can't get to all of them. Michelle right. Nichols. Of course. She was. She, yeah, so she actually she was television to film. So she was the first internet. She was the first inter um, interracial kiss. Mm-hmm. It was in nineteen sixty eight um, Star Trek, and then she did. And then they did the film with Star Trek. So I wanted to give shout out to her because she's from Robbins, Illinois. Um, oh, there you then, go. <laughs> yeah, and then Quavenjane uh, Wallace. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm saying her name right. She was the youngest nominee for an Academy Award at the age of nine for Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was for, was that Best Supporting or Best? Best Supporting, I believe, yeah. It was Best Supporting. So I had to give a shout out to her. And I believe that's going to be it for now because if I if I say it, then I'm going to keep going. I do want to say Maya Angelou too. Um, mm-hmm. I know she did um, Down in the Delta and she was one of the she was one of the first women to direct and produce a film, um, you know, in the nineties. And and she, I think it was nineteen fifty seven. She did um, did a film, but she was very influential in the film industry also, and one of the first um, in her field. So again, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to talk about any more people because <laughs> we'll just go on. Right. But those this are, this would be people. a six hour episode if we were to focus exactly. on on all of them. Maybe we'll do another one, but yeah. that's it for now. Excellent. Okay, and then uh, one of the other things that uh, I have been doing during Black History Month, or I had my friend Tim on last week. What is a movie in Black cinema that is either kind of a guilty pleasure or some people do not like the term guilty pleasure because they're like i like what i like and i don't care maybe unexpected pleasure uh, a movie in black cinema that you know it's kind of it it belongs to you it's something that it means something to you that you might not talk about all the time a movie in black cinema Mm -hmm. that is guilty pleasure so to give you to give you an example uh mine last week was Pootie Tang. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I, I don't know why I love it so much. I mean, it was just an offshoot of the Chris Rock show, but I have seen that movie dozens of times. Uh, Tim's choice last week was uh, Don't Be a Menace to Society While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. Uh, another, mo- another movie that he has seen a bunch of times. So if you have one, uh, you can go ahead and share that. <laughs> You know what? I haven't really, I haven't really 
thought about it, but I'm going to, I'm going to have to say maybe like, um, I'm going to have to say maybe diary of a mad black woman. Okay. Um, but, but I do, you see the thing of it, I'm, I have like a question, a catch 22 with Medea because mm-hmm. I don't, uh, I, I love Tyler Perry, but I think sometimes he's going too far with Medea because I don't like that big black woman thing, right. you know, I don't, I'm not, you know, it's kind of like Nutty Professor where, where he plays the characters and stuff like that, which is okay, but I'm tired of people playing a big black woman like Medea and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't really care for that. And I love Tyler Perry. I love his movies, but um, I don't really care too much for Medea, but I do like Diary of a Mad Black Woman and okay. I... I and I like, and I do like his films. Um, so I would have to say Diary of a Mad Black Woman because it's kind of like, um, I think that was a that was a film that came from his heart. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's again, it's 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 funny at times, but it's also tra- tragic. Um, so along the same vein would probably be why did I, you know, why did I get married or whatever, something like that. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, my choice this week for guilty pleasure in black cinema is the movie Friday. I love Friday. There was a point in my life where I would watch it almost like every day uh, because I got the VHS tape and I would just, I would play it all the time. I love Friday. It is hilarious. There are so many things that, you know, our generation (laughs) jokes that we can make that are direct references to Mm -hmm. Friday. I still see memes about it. Like, Mm -hmm. it is a hilarious movie. All of the other ones that they made, I mean, it it got a little bit rough down the road with Next Friday, Friday After Next, all of those. But, yeah, the original Friday, amazing film. I love it. Okay. Uh, All right. So then, uh, where can people find you and your reviews and all the information about Seven Gun Media on social media so throw out all of your handles you know what i just thought about it mm-hmm. my guilty pleasure um i you know what hollywood shuffle <laughs> oh nice okay great choice great yeah. pull yeah yeah robert townsend, robert townsend. Oh my God. love it yes yes i had to go back there okay so now i can now i can feel relieved okay <laughs> uh one of my favorite scenes in hollywood shuffle the the black school of acting oh yeah <laughs> like, robert townsend when you go back and watch hollywood shuffle like you talk about, you know, groundbreaking stuff. Nobody was doing satire, you know, like Nobody. that. Especially a black person being like, yep, this is the only roles that we get offered. So here's this fictional school where we teach you how to be a slave and a gangster and all of these things. I love Hollywood Shuffle. But even all the, but even all the people in his film, like he had a lot of the, a lot of the, again, first. He had a yep. lot of the first, you know, like the Wayan brothers and... You know, there's a lot of firsts in there. So, mm-hmm. okay. So we yeah. we will keep Diary of Mad Black Woman on record, but yeah. it has been yeah. supplanted by Hollywood Shuffle. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Uh, so yeah. So social media. Where can people get a hold of you and and find your work? Okay. So where people can get a hold of me is um, I have a I, I'm actually writing for Chicago now. 
uh, Seven Guns Says. It's an affiliate of Chicago Tribune. So you can find me on Seven Guns Says on Chicago Now. Um, I'm still working on my webpage, which I've been working on forever, but that's okay. Okay. Um, yeah, seven, my Seven Gun Media page I'm still working on. But, my, um, but I do have a Facebook page for Seven Gun Media, so you can find me there. Okay. It's, and it's number seven. The number seven is G-U-N-N Media. And then on Twitter, you can find me at writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, writer, the number seven, G, writer seven G, that's on Twitter. And then Instagram, you can find me at S-E-V-E-N-G-U-N-N. There Perfect. it is. I will put all of those links to the to all of your platforms uh, in the show notes below. Uh, I definitely appreciate you you coming on and talking about these films. Uh, I was recently reading your article that you put up uh, that you were, you know, with the, Sh- the Chicago film critics. I really appreciate that that article, you tagged me in it so I could see it and read it. So congratulations on that recent article of yours or that you were the subject of. Oh, the real Chicago article. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Thank you. I, I, that was, that was actually, I was. I was kind of honored. I was really honored to to be um, for Black History Month that they were um, that they were honoring um, black artists and um, and just highlighting them. So I was I was very shocked and and very honored to be chosen for that. So yeah, and I will put a link actually to that article in the show notes below, so people can read kind of more about you there as well. Uh, as for this yes. podcast, you can find it on all forms of social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, youtube.com slash about to review, and about to review.com has links to all of the show notes and the guests. Make sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, be that Apple Podcasts, Blueberry, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay, and all of the other ones. So for this episode of About to Review, I have been joined by Seven gun. <laughs> Seven gun. And I've been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.